Welcome to Real Decarbonization, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry will lead into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and CEO of Adamantine Energy. This series of mini pods accompanies my new book, Real Decarbonization, How Oil and Gas Companies Are Seizing the Low Carbon Future. Today's show is really fun. I get to speak with a relatively new colleague to me, Nick Deloso, President and CEO of Chesapeake Energy. Nick has such an interesting background because he has an economics degree from Boston College, an MBA from University of Texas, and he was the VP of Finance and then the CFO at Chesapeake just became the CEO, as you'll hear about in our podcast in a little bit more than a year ago. Before his time at Chesapeake, he was an investment banker at Jefferies and Bank of America Securities. You can learn more about Nick in our show notes, and I hope uh, you enjoy this conversation where we talk about all the things our industry has to be proud about. Nick Deloso, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Tisha. Looking forward to it. Well, the book makes a case for companies to develop an actionable 10-year real decarbonization strategy. And I want to acknowledge that that is uh, harder than it sounds because you have to balance that with day-to-day business operations. How do you think about Chesapeake's decarbonization plans in the context of running your day-to-day business? It's a great question. We think about it as having a couple of different priorities here. And the first is that we need to make sure that the market has adequate energy supplies. The market is still short energy broadly around the world. And we serve a pretty important role in making sure that adequate investment is made into energy supply that helps to meet the needs of consumers. In addition to that, we think that it's really important that we reduce the carbon footprint on what we produce as much as possible. So we should provide those adequate energy supplies and do so with the absolute minimal carbon footprint we can. And and then in addition to that, we think about how we should continue to innovate and invest in new technologies that help to create offsets, help to create other forms of energy where we can bring value to the table in that creation and continue to reduce the overall carbon footprint of how the world creates energy. Yeah, it's really interesting because 2022 was such a year that brought to the forefront the importance of energy supply. And even here in the U.S. and in Canada, I think climate hawks have come to understand the importance of getting natural gas around the world. And we, and we, as you mentioned, have that ability to have a lower carbon footprint gas and help meet Um, the world's energy needs. Now you're balancing that with investments and you're doing some pretty cool stuff. You've uh, recently announced investments in blockchain and geothermal collaborations. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how you decide what to invest in and maybe even sometimes more importantly, what not to invest in. We put a lot of thought into that and we try to put our efforts and our capital into projects where we think we can make a difference. And so take geothermal and carbon capture, for example, we are involved in projects in both arenas. And we're involved in those because they require knowledge and and expertise and data around subsurface operations. And so this is obviously an area where our company has a tremendous amount of historical knowledge and expertise. So we think we can make these processes better. We think we can improve upon the results and the ability to create 
improved and lower carbon sources of energy by using both geothermal and CCS. And we have very relevant skills in both arenas. On the CCS side, we are engaged in a very large project in Louisiana that will gather and transport gas from our world-class Haynesville shale field in Northwest Louisiana to an area of Louisiana called Gillis, which is really a jumping off point for LNG distribution, or for, for gas that'll be distributed to the LNG plants to then distribute that LNG around the world. And at the Gillis location, the terminus of that pipeline, we will have a carbon capture and sequestration project along with our partner Momentum. Uh, Momentum is the primary operator of the pipeline and we are a, an equity participant in it. But that project is going to remove CO2 from the gas there at the plant and then sequester it underground in caverns that we've identified and have mapped and we are working with EPA uh, to gain permits uh, to be able to do that sequestration. But that's a really exciting project because it takes known existing technology to extract CO2 from gas, which we have done historically in the Haynesville at distributed locations all across the field aggregates that gas in a CO2 rich form, which requires a very specific metallurgy of the pipeline, uh, a little bit more expensive to do it that way, but then delivers that CO2 rich gas to a place where you have enough scale of your operation to extract the CO2 in one place. And then uh, again, having enough scale to make it economically viable to sequester it at that same location. So it's an innovative project, but it takes advantage of very known and existing technologies. And so we have a lot of confidence that it can get done and that our team working with Momentum can do a great job in bringing this project to market quickly. Nick, you did such a nice job of painting a picture of multiple elements of real decarbonization that companies can uh, hang their hat on. One is, is that idea you mentioned of taking our expertise and applying it to decarbonization. I love the idea of being able to gather CO2 rich gas and then extract the CO2 because you get the scale. The other, the next thing that our industry is so important to addressing decarbonization, we can bring that scale. And then you can get it to LNG cargoes where the, the buyers, the European or Asian buyers are going to be really interested in the carbon footprint. And we can start imagining this low carbon or maybe even eventually carbon neutral gas going around the world from the US. Uh, and, and so I really like that. And I love this idea of oil and gas adjacent expertise. We take our current expertise and then apply it in very thoughtful ways. So yeah, thanks for painting that picture. And I followed that project, but it wasn't as exciting until you laid it out. <laughs> so um, thanks for that. Now, Great. of course, critics of our industry will say, well, you got to have your house in order. You know, we need to trust that you can do your production, move your natural gas, move your CO2 in a way that's not going to leak. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because Chesapeake has really been investing in, in this space and committed to getting the being the part a part of getting our industry's methane house in order. So you recently announced a partnership with EQT and Equitrans Midstream called the Appalachian Methane Initiative. This was news to me, and I'm, I am I like these kind of uh, collaborations because, again, they bring scale and know-how and, and share best practices. What, what's happening there, and, and why did you decide to do that? 
Yeah, great question. So remember, I started off by talking about how we want to ensure that we can deliver adequate supplies to the market. We want to have a minimal footprint, minimal carbon footprint on what we do produce. And then we want to invest in adjacent technologies. So the last question we talked about adjacent technologies, this is really about making sure we have a minimal footprint, uh, minimal CO2 footprint, carbon footprint for our current production. The first order of business to that is to work to identify all the opportunities within your footprint to reduce that CO2. And so the Appalachian Methane Initiative is going to be heavily focused on doing flyovers, gathering data, gathering the information that can really help us target how to reduce our emissions profile. Keep in mind that in our Marcellus production today, we have about a 0.02% methane intensity. So we have a very tight system. It is a completely dry gas system, which makes it a little easier technically to avoid and prevent uh, any leakage of methane in the process of production. That said, we really like this project because it brings together several others in the industry. You mentioned EQT and Equitrans. There are others that uh, are going to likely join this initiative as well. And we think it's really important to work in tandem with your peers on these projects for a couple of reasons. The first uh, that's just very practical is it allows you to share costs and learnings with each other. If you're doing this together, you're really trying to make it more feasible, make it more effective, and you can do that collectively. And we really think it's important that this is not seen as competitive. And that really brings me to the second reason I like doing this with peers, which is that we have to be able to show the world that natural gas as a form of the energy supply stack is competitive, not just on cost, not just on availability, but also on its carbon footprint. And if one producer does a great job with it on a standalone basis, it really doesn't help the ultimate consumers of energy to know that they're doing, that they're buying a product and using a product in the creation of their energy that is helpful to the world's climate goals and, and carbon initiatives. So we have to do this together. We need the whole industry to have an approach to emissions that reduces the footprint and, and leads to a better outcome. And, and so we like these projects where we, we team up with our peers uh, for those reasons. I'm a big fan of industry collaboration and where appropriate cross-industry collaboration for those reasons you mentioned. But I want to put an exclamation point on um, your idea that the burden is really on us collectively as an industry to win the confidence of the public for secure supply, for cost stability, um, and for decarbonizing. And I, I really like that you mentioned that because we are judged by the worst actors among us. And so the more collaboration that we bring together, the more we we raise up each other in these ways, the, the better. So um, thanks for your leadership in, in that space. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you think about responsibly sourced gas initiatives that we've engaged in. We've we've engaged with MIQ and EO100 to certify that all of our gas in North America has the responsibly sourced certification. And it's really important. But ideally, that's not a differentiating factor when we go to market to sell gas. Ideally, all gas is seen as responsibly sourced because at the end of the day, we sell a commodity that we need the energy supply stack to be built around utilizing in a way that is going to reduce the overall carbon footprint of how the world creates its energy. We know natural gas can be additive to that, 
But you're right in that we have to make sure that the immediate consumers of fuel for energy creation, as well as the ultimate consumers of the energy, have confidence in the fact that they're utilizing energy that's been created with as low a carbon footprint as possible and still gives them security and affordability. Natural gas is the best answer for that, but it is incumbent upon us to continue to improve upon that every day. I really couldn't agree more, Nick. I'm I'm so glad we're I'm so glad we're having this chat. And let me pull on it a little bit more because this is a big our our industry is making big changes from the way we did things 10 years ago. You know, whether it's this decarbonization adjacent or just the forward foot we we have on addressing our emissions footprint. This probably requires you to engage really differently with employees of the company. And I'm wondering how you think about all those different generations of employees, all the change we've had as an industry, all the change Chesapeake has had in the last 10 years. You have everything from the folks that have been in the industry for 45 years to Gen Z, you know, a couple of years out of school demanding that that we uh, be a part of the, the energy future. How do you balance that? And how do you think about energizing all that different talent within our workforce. You know, in a lot of ways, that's the easiest part of my job. Uh, Our workforce is super energized around these issues. Our workforce understands that what we do every day matters to the world. We are providing crucial energy that the world needs, that the world is short of. And the demand that's out there that is unmet leads to poor outcomes for quality of life for millions and millions of people. And so, Our our team is excited about what we can do to highlight how beneficial natural gas is in creating sources of energy that are lower carbon, that are affordable, that are secure. What we really have to do is make sure that people feel connected to it and they see it and they understand it. As we talk about it with our team, they are all excited about exactly those facts. A couple of years ago, Uh, I was out in one of our field offices, and this is coming off of the pandemic era of a period of time where we and everybody else in the industry attempted to spend as little money as possible. Price of the commodity had gone, oil had gone obviously very negative, price of gas had gone extremely low, and none of us spent uh, any capital that we did not have to spend for that period of time. And coming out of that, as we were getting ready to grow production again, we had a pretty big initiative to do some things that were going to reduce emissions. They weren't necessarily going to have a big impact on next month's production. And so our team questioned me on that a bit. Hey, why are we doing this? Help me understand why it's okay to spend this money when for the last year and a half, two years, we've been appropriately in a mindset of saying, hey, if if we can save a dollar, we need to save a dollar. And so we had a a great conversation about how we know that the product that we produce is hugely important to meeting the world's goals around energy supply. And again, I define those goals as affordability, reliability, and lower carbon. We can do that, but we have to make sure that we're doing the lower carbon piece as much as possible and in a way that we can be as transparent as possible in what it looks like. If we don't, we'll get left out of the supply planning conversations. And then the world is not as well off as they would be using our products. And so we have rallied around that thought internally in a way that our employees are very, very proud of the work they do. They know that 
they don't allow incremental emissions of any of our product that can be avoided any day. They don't allow for spills of any of the fluids that we produce, oil, water, or any others uh, that can be avoided. And we take very good care of the environment in which we operate uh, and a lot of pride in it. And so rallying around that has been really pretty easy. Here's a shout out to any Chesapeake employees who are listening to this, because it is in fact true. And I love the way you characterized it, Nick, that if there's not a seat, if there's not a role for for natural gas in the global energy supply, the world is worse off in meeting its its climate goals, in raising people out of poverty, in keeping uh, nations secure and and empowered. So I love the idea of tying that to how employees feel connected to both the the base mission and the um, decarbonization goals as well. I know because I've gotten to know you over the last year, Nick, that you continue to evolve as a leader, as a person, as as we are in this post-pandemic, but then different sorts of energy crisis world. Will you talk to us a little bit about how your leadership style has changed since you took the reins just a, a little more than a year ago in late 2021? I don't know that my style has changed a whole lot in that, you know, we've been focused on as a company on being a great operator, being an extremely safe operator and delivering a great answer for our shareholders. We know that in order to deliver a great answer for our shareholders, all the issues that you and I are talking about today are front and center. If we aren't focused on our carbon footprint, if we aren't focused on making sure that natural gas is positioned to succeed as the fuel source of choice to improve uh, the carbon footprint impacting the climate, to improve the availability of energy to consumers around the world, then we're failing. And we aren't doing as good of a job as we can do for our shareholders. So all of those things have are front and center for us. I think as my role has evolved going from CFO, particularly CFO of a company that was financially distressed for a very long time, to CEO of a company that sits in a great place to have a really positive impact on all of these issues, being able to spend time talking about and and motivating our teams and the outcomes that we can achieve around these issues has been very rewarding and a lot of fun. It's so great to see your leadership both within the company, uh, but also within the, the industry. I don't take it for granted. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, Nick, when you look forward, building on uh, that success story of the past couple of years, what are you most optimistic about? Oh, that's that's easy. It's very simply the role of natural gas in solving the world's biggest problems. You pick up any newspaper around the world and you're likely to find on page one something about energy security, something about climate, something about the affordability of energy or inflation that's driven by the cost of energy. Natural gas is the answer to all of those. And we sit in a place to be a big supplier, a huge creator of value for our shareholders as a result. And make the world a better place. I couldn't agree more. Nick, thanks so much for your leadership. And thank you so much for joining me on the Real Decarbonization Podcast. Thanks, Tisha. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Nick for taking time to join me. One of the things I found really interesting in today's podcast was thinking about our role as more than just producing gas, but producing this foundational fuel that's the lifeblood of humanity. If we're not transparent, if we're not reducing our carbon footprint, then we're not meeting our full potential. I really love that idea. 
I hope that if you like what you're hearing, you will take a moment and rate us and forward the podcast to three of your colleagues. If you'd like to know more about my book, please visit realdecarbonization.com. And I would be so grateful if you would get on Amazon and give it a five-star rating as well. I want to thank Adon Rubio for making this podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health. <laughs>